This is a story about my mother and how she embodies strength, perseverance, and the will to live. What she's gone through in the past several years is the reason why she's inspired me to tell her story. Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Bryant Monte. And I'm Nicole Franklin. We love hearing family stories on our show, Before You Go. And on today's show, we're meeting the director Mm -hmm. and her featured star of the documentary debut of busy and in-demand casting director, Millicent Diane. Now, Millicent produced and directed the documentary, Paula's Story, Surviving Heart Disease, featuring her mother, Paula McLaughlin. And Mrs. McLaughlin and Millicent are with us today to talk about the film, which covers a very serious health matter, heart disease. Welcome to you both. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Now, Millicent and I have known each other a very long time <laughs> through New York <laughs> Women in Film and Television, but... I was surprised, Millicent, and very grateful to hear about your mother surviving a heart attack. I'm very grateful to hear about this surviving survival story. So please tell us what happened and how this harrowing experience led to a film. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Brian. Well, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible because Latinos, we like to talk. Um, or Latinx, as we, like to, <laughs> we like to talk. So in 2014, um, my sister Rita is a retired uh, um, bilingual school teacher. So during spring break in April 2014, they were in New York visiting with myself and my brother. And apparently throughout the entire week, my mom was feeling kind of tired. And, and this is a woman that's so active and, and, and can could walk a marathon, right? So we just noticed that she was feeling kind of, she was slumpish and feeling kind of tired. And the night, I don't know if it was April 20, 26 or 27, 2014, it was a Saturday night. I had a really big red carpet event for something that I was working on. And because it was for the, for the, for the Latinx community, I wanted my mom to come. And, uh, but she said, oh, no, I don't feel well. I cop an attitude, not knowing what's going on. I said, come on, Ma, just go. Just go with me. So I, I'd bring Rod, right? Cut to, I come home. It's about 3 in the morning. She's sitting up in my bed with my sister, holding her chest right between, right in the right, oh. in the, right in her chest between, you know, right there in the sternum. Oh. And I was like, "Mother, what's the matter?" And Rita, my sister Rita, says to me, "You know, she keeps burping and burping and burping." Apparently, unbeknownst to me, she collapsed in my kitchen while I was gone, and my brother was there to catch her. So they put her on this chair and give her an Alka Seltzer, and she, you know, she just we just thought it was gas. She thought it was maybe gas or, you know. She had recently just finished uh, having pneumonia, so we didn't know, is this remnants of deep, is, is pneumonia sitting dormant in her system, or is it gas? What is it? But she just kept burping and burping and burping and burping. She didn't have any of the numbness. Mm. So we find out the entire time, um, so on that Sunday, April 27, 2014, mm-hmm. they drove from Maine to New York, for then they stayed the whole week, so... We always do travel mercies because we're very spiritual people. So so driving back that morning, driving back that Sunday morning when my sister Rita and my mom drove back, we set up travel mercies. And and this is why I tell everybody to challenge. I challenge that they tell me that God doesn't exist because there's a myriad of times when my mother could not be here today. So um, there's a myriad of examples. One is that we go through four or five states when you travel from New York to to Maine and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Throughout the time of traveling, she woke up. She was still burping, but she felt okay. The minute she got back home that Sunday night, she went to bed. 
she was burping again. She could just take an apple seltzer or just something that could just ginger or something that could just get rid of whatever the gas feeling was. Mm-hmm. She said she was feeling okay. Then the next morning, it was even worse. My sister Rita had already had a scheduled appointment with one of her the primary doctor. Good. My mother, but this is the thing. My mother wasn't able to see her primary because she was full. So we saw another doctor, Dr. Stednicki, who's in the film. And as my mom... And, and, and my mother, my mother's a stubborn, she's, she's a wonderful woman, but she's a typical stubborn Hispanic woman, like, like, Latin, like a Latin woman. So she says to me, Rita says, Ma, you want to go to the hospital? You want to go to the doctor? She's like, no, I'll be fine. I'll just let me stay here. Rita said in her interview, something told me don't leave mama home alone. This is another reason why this is, I believe that this is God. Divine order. Right? Divine order. So my sister's like, no, don't leave mama home. Force her to come with you, get in the car and take her to go see Dr. Stenecki. So we go see Dr. Stenecki. As Dr. Stenicki's looking at her old EKGs and her new EKGs, because he's like, Paul, let's check your blood. Let's get you some blood work to check your EKG. And he has both of them up and he's looking. And my mom sees this disturbing look on his face. And she's like, what's the matter? And he says, Paula, as I'm speaking to you, you're suffering from a heart attack. <gasps> in his office. Oh. <laughs> so unbeknownst to us, the entire week that she was there in New York visiting with us, she was having many heart attacks. And none of oh. us even knew. That minute, at that, that immediate moment, they took her in a wheelchair. They wheelchair her down the emergency. That Monday, she had tri- open, triple bypass open heart surgery. I remember my sister calling me and telling me, all I heard was mama's in the hospital. I booked a flight. That's, I dropped the phone. Rod picks up the phone. I just dropped, and I, and, I, and I immediately booked a flight. I was there the next morning, and I stayed for, the, for nine months after that. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. And so, Miss McLaughlin, um, this happened when you were 80 years old? Yes, I was. I was in my eighties. Yes, because you're. Are you eighty-seven today? Yes, we're speaking. Yes. How are you feeling now? Oh, but great. <laughs> oh, oh, but great. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> this this was a very scary. How did you feel during this? Yeah, today. During the incident. I know you were you were experiencing symptoms, and we'll get into that yeah. soon. But overall, when you were traveling, when you knew something was wrong, when you were in the bed, you were in the car, you were traveling, and then the doctor was busy. How? What was your mental state like? I said, "This is nothing. Just something that I eat. They gave me an upset stomach." I said, "I can't know how." Having a heart attack. If I was going to have a heart attack, probably I could have a couple of years ago. I'm too old now. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> You're too old to have a heart attack. Oh, <laughs> oh, it, I, I would have never suspected that. Why would you say that? Well, because my because my mother, mm-hmm. my mother died very young, heart attack. She was in her how, how old was she? Seventy nine. She was 79 when she had a heart attack. According to the CDC, in 2017, heart disease was the leading cause of death for women in the United States, accounting for one in every five female deaths. For Latinx and AAPI women in 2017, deaths from heart disease were second only to cancer. Now, did you, Ms. McLaughlin, being of Puerto Rican descent, have a theory as to why this happened? I know as women of color, we encounter a number of stressors. I seem worse 
follow my diet. I should follow, you know, my diet, but I eat everything and anything. <laughs> I got to ask, what's your favorite food? Oh, rice and beans, rice and chicken, mm -hmm. fried plantains. Oh, yeah, that's mm. good. <laughs> <laughs> You're Puerto Rican. Um, can you tell us about how um, you came to come to the U.S.? Uh in 1957, 67, mm -hmm. there was having problem in the island. And my husband, don't, he said, I don't want to raise my kids in this place. I say, why? I grew up here. He said, yeah, but it was different. So he, he said, I'm going to send you to my state, back to my state. I said, well, am I going to go along with five kids? He said, oh, yeah, you're a strong woman. You make it. <laughs> so I packed kids' suitcases, and I only brought one thing with me was the playpen for Millicent. She was 50 months old. Oh, you oh, brought wow. a playpen. <laughs> yeah. So your, your husband was from Maine. So... Mm -hmm. Okay, living in Puerto Rico, and it said, let's come back home, to his home. He said, you go over there and you stay in the hotel for a week until I get a hold of my oldest daughter, because he was married before, and he had two daughters up here. So uh, after a week, somebody knocked the door at the hotel, the hotel and she introduced her, she said, I'm Dorothy, your stepdaughter. I said, well, she hugged me and we hugged. He said, you're not going to live here anymore. You're going to live with me. So I went with the five kids. I went to live with her. She had four kids and I have five. Wow. So they go to work. I stay home taking care of. Kids. And, mm -hmm. Go ahead. And then I lived there for a while. Then I found a job. Living in Liverpool Falls, I had to travel all the way to Lewiston, about an hour. Uh, so I found a job. She babysitting kid for me at night. And I work at night. And then there was too much traveling for me, so I moved to Lewiston. And I was closer to my job. And where is it? You're saying Lewiston? Is Lewiston that is near where I live now, mm -hmm. 20 minutes. So you had to travel. Your commute was about 20 minutes. Yeah. With nine kids in the house. Nine kids in the house. Okay. <laughs> Would you consider that stressful or was that all day play? No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that stressful? No. No, I love kids, and I was glad, you know, to stay ho home during the day, taking care of all when they go to work, and then mm -hmm. they was my kids when I go to work at night. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we said that there was a history of heart disease in the family. Would you by chance know, Miss McLaughlin, if that was generational? Was it in the generation previous to your mom's generation? 
So was it was it your great abuela? Well, nobody else in the family was oh. because my grandmother died a hundred and six, and she never she never was sick in her life. So your grandmother died at 106 years old? And she never had a heart attack. She never got a cold. She was healthy. She was very healthy. She was born in the 1800s. Yes. And then... <laughs> Amazing. Then later from seven brothers and five girls, my mother was the only one they had problem with her heart. So this whole experience must have been really, really shocking. Um, Millicent, why did you decide to pick up the camera? Because I know you were probably feeling all kinds of emotions, but tell me. <laughs> well, as I mentioned before, when this happened, um, I instantaneously, unexpectedly became her PCP, her primary caregiver. And for the entire 2014, I, I refused to go back home to New York until I knew that she could that she was okay because in being her primary caregiver, I saw the journey that this woman at 80 years old, who's now 87 and quite healthy. She didn't mention how quite healthy she really is because she's very healthy. She looks beautiful. Thank you. Cause she's to this day, she's been diligent with her diet cause she knows, you know, and, and she exercises. She's, she's required to do three days a week, an hour a day of activity. So I love it. Yeah. That's her ordered by the doctor. So I decided to do it. And being her primary caregiver, caregiver and seeing the journey that she went through for that nine months or even a, the, the year, I had an awakened dream with God again, you know, and I, if you guys know what I mean, it's like an awakened dream. It's like I was, I was sleeping, but I really had a, a deep conversation. He knew I wanted to make that leap, take, take that leap of faith as a filmmaker casting for 30 years. And he's like, okay, I'll get your first project daughter. And, <laughs> but, but you got to ask permission. Which I, I was like, Mama, okay, I just had a dream last night and I, t I had a talk with her. I had a heart to heart and said, This is my intent because prior to this happening to my mother, I had no idea about heart disease and how it was a, the, 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 the silent killer among women. I had no idea. So I really feel like, as strange as this may sound, you guys, I really feel like this probably happened for a good reason because I try to think of the good in everything. And it was, and apparently, it was my duty to be able to tell her story with her permission to spread awareness on the disease, to spread awareness on the red dress movement, to spread awareness on trying to people just one simple thing, protect your heart. And that's mm -hmm. why she inspired me to tell her story because if I can get it through one person, through her film, then I'm, then I'm, I'm accomplishing something. If I get through thousands of people, I'm accomplishing amazing stuff. And if I get through millions and millions of people, then globally I'm accomplishing what God wants me to accomplish. Right. Absolutely. This is Paula's story. She is a survivor. I wake up and I say, what's going to happen? And Rita say, Mama, you, you had a heart attack. I say, what? She was 80 years old at the time. And uh, having to undergo major heart surgery when you're 80 years of age is, is not an easy undertaking. And Dr. Weldon's getting ready to kind of give us a sort of the rundown as to what we can expect. And before he does that, um, we, we, we sort of take a moment. And he says to us, he's like, I'm gonna be very honest with you guys. Your mother has a triple threat against her. High blood pressure, high cholesterol, and she's diabetic. You usually walk what? Two, three, put her in three. 
No, no, three's fast. No, that's the way I like it. It's part of her lifestyle. She has a better memory to this day to remember to take her medications than we do. Sometimes I'll turn around and say, Ma, did you take your medication? Been there, done that. So she's really good now after several years of post-op surgery. For women, it, it's a big problem because their symptoms are more vague. It could be as, as simple as just feeling more tired than usual. Don't trust somebody else. When you have something like that, see your doctor right away. While filming my mother's story, we found that not everyone's story is the same. Well, I, I did have a question in terms of, you know, there's a recovery with something that major. Uh, when it came to recovery time and everything that goes involved with that recovery, I mean, what was that like, that part? And how long did it take? It took t exactly 10 months. Okay. And she had 36 weeks of cardiac rehab. Mm. So the first thing that happens after people go through open heart surgery, because she had triple bypass, she mm -hmm. had 70% blockage in her left lung, 60% blockage in her right lung, and 50% blockage in her middle lung, hence the open bypass. They ripped out a vein from her left leg. Her poor leg was in flat bruise from the, out from, the, from the hip down. And ripping out that vein is what they kind of did, like a, imagine trying to just take it, and they took that vein, and that's how they was able to, to clear the blockage. And so she's, you know, she's pretty much got, not a new heart, but, you know, new valves. Mm -hmm. After emergency, after surgery, the immediate thing that happens first is they have to go into two weeks of uh, uh, OT and PT because she has to learn how to use her body all over again. Wow. It's, there's sternal precautions that she has to be aware of. She couldn't burn her arms back that because she had incisions here. She couldn't put, she couldn't pull her shirt over her head. She couldn't put her shoes on a certain way. She couldn't bend a suit a certain way. She had to get into the bed a certain way. So at Marshwood, which I, there in my film, the, 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 it's a nursing home, but it's also occupational physical therapy center. They were amazing. They had in the nursing home on the, in the South side of the nursing home in the South wing, they have an entire rehabilitation center. That's a mini grocery, a bedroom, a workout, um, a gym, mm. um, a, 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 a car, half of a car, because also she had to learn how to get into a car. All this was still mm. precautions because if she, if she ripped or, you know, imagine you state you're stapled and you, and you, and you take a piece of paper. If she put any damage to that, she back, she'd go back under the knife. And so oh. it was important to remind her mama sternal precautions. So after that, then we went into cardiac rehab, uh, Monday through Friday of cardiac rehab every day for like an hour with the cardiac rehab nurses at Central Maine Medical Hospital. And then after that, it was two months of home health where a nurse would come in and again, teach her OT and PT, teach her how to, you know, utilize the, her kitchen, go to the bathroom, get in and out of bed. And our Auntie Mary Ann, who's in my film, we requested her to be her home health nurse. All of that, she had to learn how to do. I'll never forget, I got a picture of her cooking her first meal, her first meal, learning how to pick up this, pick up the, 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 the stove, the, the, the pot, put it in the stove, close the stove, turn your body, put it in the sink, take the dishes, put everything, set up the table. Again, they have to learn how to use their body all over again. Mm. And then for the and then to add, the last thing that she's required to do is a lifestyle until God takes off this earth is working out personal training. So she has three days a week for an hour a day for the rest of her life. She has to do one hour and she has specific exercise that she does. Mm -hmm. And that's where she is now. And her diet, she had to change her diet. I may say this, 
No, the first thing that Dr. Paul Wellner, our cardiothoracic surgeon and his team said to my mother was, Paula, the first thing you need to do is you need to get rid of caffeine and coffee in your life because America doesn't realize how bad caffeine is for your heart. Understand my mother, my abuela, her mom, instead of putting milk in her bottle when she was a baby, guess what she'd put in her bottle? coffee so she literally it tasted good i'm sure (laughs) she literally was drinking coffee for 80 years until this happened oh wow imagine the blockage of that and let the and and latinx people our diet is horrible it's horrible pork and this and pork that it it's just (sighs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> but it's delicious <laughs> she had to give up a lot of it though she can't eat pork anymore you know nope. it yeah. is delicious <laughs> I will confess that um, I moved to New York and just hopped into um, the busy busy business of news television and I was working at a station that shall not be named for about, uh, about eight months and I had a stressful day one day and I felt a cramp on my chest and I could barely breathe. And I almost went home early. I almost didn't finish what I had to get on the show as an editor, but I finished and I was shallow breathing my way through it. That cramp lasted three days. So I went to um, the doctor, uh, one of the top cardiologists in New York because I was in news television. I just asked my news friends, who do you interview all the time? I need the top guy, (laughs) something's wrong with my heart. And um, when uh, I went to visit, he said, well, thankfully you do not have heart damage. I was like, thank you. He said, but you do have to change up a lot of things. You gotta change your job. I said, I can't do that. He said, well, get off caffeine. You have to do that. And I went through a one week withdrawal that was horrible. I don't, Ms. McLaughlin is nodding her head. And um, I've been off caffeine ever since. I was in my twenties, but I was like, you have one heart. And I couldn't feel like that again. So, yeah. If I may elaborate, speaking of the withdrawal, I got, once I got permission that she could travel, my mother and Rod's mother, um, they love the Rose, the Rose Parade. So we, when I got permission, she could, we could fly. We took her for the first time. She went to California. We went to the Rose Parade. We experienced the whole thing. There was a moment when we had the actual game, you guys, when my mom is in the fetal position on the blunt bleaches next to me. And Rod's like, what's the matter with your mom? And I look over and she's like slouched over and she's just swaying back and forth. I said, mommy, are you okay? She was having a caffeine withdrawal. This is real talk. And I was like, oh my God, okay. So I said, Rod, I'll be right back. So I said, mommy, come on. The stadium is pretty big and I don't, I'm not familiar with the stadium. Mm-hmm. Then we, we had to, we went walk to so many different vendors before I could, I said, mommy, you're not supposed to have the caffeine. I'm gonna allow you two sips and that's it. So I, had, I bought it. We finally found a, a vendor that had some caffeine. Um, and so we bought it for her and I just gave her two sips. She perked up like a wildflower. It's a drug. <laughs> I tell you, I missed it. I had to wean myself off with decaf. But then again, we all know we have one heart. <laughs> so to all the coffee drinkers, what do we say? Just do decaf. I would say, I'd say oh, I, I'd be, I'm very diligent. Like I would just say, Drink coffee, but just try for decaf because what's more important, the coffee or your life? Right. Oh, those are some heavy words. Oh, no. <laughs> so my morning coffee, I'm going to look at it twice now. Like what? Wait a minute. Sorry. I don't know about you. <laughs> 
Now, I'm sure the family must have been very nervous during Mrs. McLaughlin's open heart surgery. So, Mellison, can you tell us about that day? Oh, boy. May 1st, 2014 was her surgery. Right. So we all, the one thing I can tell you that I can remember that was the most profound for me was while she's sitting in the in the room, the room Y311, which is what I was going to call the film because that's the room she was in. But I was like, nah, that just sounds too creepy. So she was in room Y311 and she's laying in, and you have, envision your mom sitting, laying in this bed and circled around the bed is her children, her grandchildren, the doctors that are supposed to be operating, Dr. Wellner, all of, you know, Danielle, the anesthesiologist. And I had a moment where I said, when Dr. Wellness came in and he said to us, I'm going to be honest with you, your mother's got three things against her. She's got high blood pressure, she's diabetic, and she's got high cholesterol. Mm. That's a major contributing factor for heart disease. But I... I'm going to, me and my team are going to do everything in our power to see to it that she comes back. And, and, and I said, well, Dr. Wellner, I have to say that I have 100% faith in you because I did my research on you. And this man has a 0% mortality rate after surgery, 0% infection rate after surgery, 0% um, uh, coming back to do, to come back in under the knife, you know, after surgery. So this guy was the cream of the crop. And, um, and so I actually spoke to another, another cardiothoracic surgeon friend of ours, Michael Michael Lemieux and I said, Michael, um, when, when I remember sitting in the hospital and I'm saying, I don't know this doctor, tell me about this guy. And I got that information from him. He's like, trust me, Mellison, I had open heart surgery and he did mine and I'm a cardiac surgeon. I said, okay. And I'm at the airport, you know, I'm like, okay, I feel good. So as we fly in, we're all sitting around the bed and I said, can we all just do a prayer? So all of us gathered around with the doctors, we did a prayer and, um, and I remember saying, um, to my sisters and brothers, I said, you guys, just do me one favor. No waterworks. Try to hold back because the last thing our mother needs to see before she goes under the knife is her children crying. <laughs> if you can please just hold back the waterworks, that would be great. Well, that didn't happen. I looked down. It's like we were lined up at the usual sets, but I looked down and I was like, oh, great. So, <laughs> yeah. so... She goes in. Waterworks. The waterworks. Water big fail on that one. <laughs> yeah, big fail. So we, she goes in, and we're all in the waiting room, and you know, you know, you pace back and forth. You could put a hole in the carpet, and you just. For us, it was just we went into immediate prayer mode. We said, "Okay, Lord, we know that now you got her. This is all up to you." For some interesting reason, I wasn't really as nervous and. Um, concerned as the rest of my brothers and sisters and you want to know why i break it down to one word or two words my faith my sister my sister and my mom both had this whole had this dream and my mom had it um at like the night before her surgery my sister my sister marie had it the night before surgery our grandmother her mom came to them in a dream and i'll let you tell her about that dream but my sister my i let my mother tell her but my sister marie said that abuela came to him in a dream and she said she said don't worry She's going to be okay. It's not her time. That's so beautiful. Yeah, Miss McLaughlin, can you expand on that dream? How she put her hand on your chest? Yes, she put my hand in my chest. And I remember her saying, it's not your time yet. Don't forget the children. They need you. 
Beautiful, beautiful. And and you went in, well, content. You were probably, you know, feeling a lot of things because they prep you <laughs> for surgery. Yeah. But you come out of surgery, you're back in action. You have a new lease on life or what I, I understand people that have gone through heart trauma are changed persons, you know, they're just yes. grabbing life, you know, by the reins and living it. Tell us about your experience now. How are you living? How are you living? <laughs> well, right now, I, like Millicent say, I do exercise. When I don't go to the gym, I do uh, my exercise at home. I follow my diet. You know, love going to the gym and I love seeing, um, our uh, seniors working out and exercising. Silver sneakers. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a certain program you follow? I'm curious if you're in your 80s and 90s, what should people do? And say, I'm going to go to the gym. So you have a personal trainer. Uh, what do they have you doing on a given day or a week? I ride the treadmill. Mm-hmm. I use the bike. I use the... I call it a Bigfoot. <laughs> the Bigfoot? Yeah, it's a, I call it a Bigfoot. Is the Oh, yeah, the elliptical. Yeah. Yes. And the foot presser. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I call it a row the boat. Oh, I love the rowing oh, yeah. machine. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. my favorite. <laughs> yeah. First, before we, we go in, we exercise. We take three pounds bar and we exercise and do all kinds of jumping and bending and then we warm up before we go on a treadmill. It's an organism <laughs> it's a program at Central Maine Medical called Healthy Hearts. And it's all dedicated to senior citizens. Nobody in there is younger than eighty. Or probably I guess the youngest probably seventy five. Yeah. Probably huh? 75, right? 75, but they're all the senior yeah, citizens. Yeah, the oldest one is 90, 98. Yeah. <gasps> I love it. <laughs> and that's her, that's her program. Bryant has vowed to keep going in the gym to what, 150, Bryant? 150 years oh, of age? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's just good to be, you know, active. Absolutely. And, and, and it seems like sometimes that doesn't happen until later in life. And I think we could prevent a lot if we, all of us stay active, you know, and she's more active than me. That's embarrassing. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I, I miss my coffee. That's one sin. I miss my coffee, but I drink Dika and Dika tea. He told me to stop drinking coffee. They're going to kill me. I say, well, Whatever you say, and then because I used to drink ten cups of coffee a day. Oh wow! Because I was wow. a nurse, and every time I got a break, I go for a cup of coffee, and that was what kept me going all day. So, what is your substitute? I cut it down now to one cup a day, a decaf. Okay. The taste of coffee now, even decaf, is like. But she's a tea drinker, a decaf tea drinker now. That's her go-to. Or postum. Remember, you know postum? What is that? It's a a grain, like with beans, chickpeas, uh, 
Orkan's uh, uh, beans all mm. decaffeinated. And that's that's a drink? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, like coffee. They call it postum. And that's it's another. But I don't yeah. have no more craving for coffee. We have so much to learn from our elders. So what, do you, what advice do you give young people uh, just in terms of life, uh, health, and, you know, so many things that you've been through? I say to take care of themselves, go easy in coffee. Mm-hmm. Go easy and fry food. Go easy and smoking. Mm-hmm. Smoking and drinking. Take care of yourself because you're young and you want to have a healthy life. So please watch out what you eat and what you put in your body. Mm-hmm. Sounds like all the reasons to live, though, for those things. Yes. <laughs> those are the pleasures of life for many people. So we've got to find an alternative there. Absolutely. I mean, Ms. McLaughlin, Ms. McLaughlin are you happy? Are you, um, what makes you joyful and, and happy? I'm happy that, still, that I'm still here, that I'm alive, and I can mm-hmm. see my kids every day. And the God probably told me, like my mother say, it's not your time yet. And I told my kids, when, when God is ready to take me, I'd be happy to go. Mm-hmm. More with Mrs. Paula McLaughlin and Millicent Diane when we return. We're back talking about a very important subject that's um, been filmed. This is the debut film of my friend Millicent Diane, a well-known casting director. This is her debut film on a subject she's very passionate about. Millicent, I always say that your first film should be something you care about (laughs) because people are going to remember it forever. You've spent how many years in casting? 30. 30 years in casting. You've worked with everyone in music videos, film, indie film, studio films. Mm. I mean, drop some names here. Who have you worked with? <laughs> um, well, um, the first person comes to, comes to mind who I just love him to death is Michel Gondry, mm-hmm. uh, who um, he's phenomenal. Um, as far as uh, Ava DuVernay, love her to death. She's, she's in, such an inspiration. Um, the Wachowski brothers, or I guess sisters now, um, uh, that's for some of the some of the folks as far as film. I'm probably missing a lot of other people like F. Gary Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as like music videos, there's a plethora of of filmmakers. <laughs> so you've gone from like emotional content to um, you know, Wachowski. How do you say their name? Wachowski. Wachowski sisters. Wachowski. Wachowski. Yes. The Wachowskis, and we're talking about the Matrix here, so we're like, you know, action films. What inspired you to go in for a documentary, um, the way you approached it, because everybody, I've seen a peek of it, uh, the way you approached it was so intimate, um, you know, personal. Well, this is how I started to take my leap of faith. Um, there was a moment when, um, many years ago, where I... Uh, I, I needed, you know, in the industry, you have to give yourself a mental break. So I needed, I just like, I was so blessed to be so busy. Like I just needed a mental break. So I treated myself to a bed and breakfast out in, out in like the Hamptons area. And I just shut down for seven days. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Every morning, my bed, my, the room that I had, had a view of the water and I'm a water mm-hmm. son. So I love the water. 
and um, I find the water to be very purifying and very, it can really speak to you spiritually. So every morning I would, after, after the breakfast, I would uh, walk down to the dock, which is like a five minute walk. And there was this bench at the end of the dock. And I had a conversation, an intense conversation with God. And I would just kind of become one with the water, as weird as that may sound. And I said, I'm ready to do this full time. I'm ready to do this. I want to do my mom's story. And uh, to three weeks to the day, that's when I started. I was like, I had realized my mom's story. And I said, that's when I said, mama, can I get permission to tell your story? And my motivation was, again, seeing what she went through for the nine months. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I need to bring this to global awareness. This cannot just sit dormant. People, especially women of color, we women of color, we really, really, really need to just protect your heart because we go before a man would go. You know what I mean? Um, when you look at the statistics, it is a silent killer among women. It really, really is. I was just ready and just seeing my mom and just being blessed to just have the catalyst of her, her as my catalyst and being blessed to be able to just have my crew that has just been working for soups to nuts because, you know, how I paid for this film was 50% of my casting money, whatever I made in casting, I put it away and I invest back into myself, into my film. And because if I had waited, I could have waited to get investment money. It was like, now was the time that you had to do it now because I had to, go through what she went through, meaning I had to kind of get all, get all the reenact everything. So, and like people are donating equipment to me. People have just been very forthcoming and like taking, I said, taking a massive pay cut and just, it's just been a big fat blessing all across the board in so many ways. And the message Mm is, I want it to be a global message. I really do. Labor of love for a beautiful family. Melicent, tell us your plans about the film. Well, my plan is to get it into um, start the festival route if possible. Um, if not, just go, you know, somehow just mm-hmm. to get a distribution deal to go directly to the theaters. I, I, I don't want it to be limited theaters because, like I said, my intent is to spread global awareness as many theaters as possible. And then eventually maybe get a streaming service, get it either on the Netflix or the Amazons or the Hulus or, you know, HBO Max, or even Lifetime Television. It's Lifetime Television for women, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, but I... I I'm 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 still in post. I'm about 85% done shooting the film because it's still a, unfortunately with COVID, um, there are certain things that I wasn't able to shoot that I was ready to schedule to shoot last in the last year. But it's a it's just a situation of being creative with your filmmaking. We <laughs> we did shoot six wonderful days in Puerto Rico, and you know in documentary film it's about the who, when, where, what, what, and why. And I got a lot of those answers in Puerto Rico, but one situation that occurred we weren't able to. Um, get the pig farm like when she talks when she grew up in a pig farm and all the things she used to do in the pig farm and with her little pig but i realized since i wasn't able to get that that's okay i'll pencil sketch animation which will bring up the value of the film you know what i mean um absolutely so and then there was last year we were supposed to do the red dress the, the red fashion week new york fashion week but because it was shut down so now it's just a matter of recreating figuring out how i can you know me and my team and just figuring out how we can get that but so i'm still in post-production and i'm about and my goal is to have it i want it to i want it to premiere on valentine's day because it's all about the heart and hoping Mm. that in 2023 2024 i don't want to go past 2024 but 2023 maybe in a year or two and release it on valentine's day beautiful miss mclaughlin how does it feel to be the star of a film oh i feel great (laughs) 
I'm proud of my daughter. Proud of your daughter for sure. What is it like to sit for the camera? A little bit nervous. <laughs> but she gave me a lot of courage. Drew, you're working with a trusted crew, I'm sure, because Millicent has a lot of family in the business. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure the set is very intimate, very uh, cordial, very friendly, very family. And what I love is when I go to New York, they all call me Mama. How is uh -huh. Mama? Mama this and Mama that. I say, my goodness, I never had so many children. <laughs> That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. So this has been such a special time to spend with you both and hear news that could change lives. You know, thank you so much for telling your story. We hope this conversation today will actually save a life. Yes, thank you both. And if our listeners have a family story to share, reach out to us on BeforeYouGo.tv. Yes, that's at BeforeYouGo.tv, our website, where you'll see a photo of a mailbox, so don't be scared. Click on it and leave us a message. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Yes, please tell us your story. And before we go, we want to remind everyone that stories like these are sometimes just a phone call away. Just pick up the phone and make that call. There's no time like the present. What a what gift. A gift.